love. It's the thing we all miss in this pandemic. Now, for those of you that are listening that have found love in this thing, congratulations, we all hate you. And for those of you that are maintaining your relationships and this has made them stronger, well, we also don't like you very much either. But in this episode, we delve into love of self, love of others, long-distance love, love of singing, and love of deliberately confusing people so they can never keep up with your personality. We get into all that and more. It's an operatic episode with my friend, opera singer, and coach, Kirsten Scott. I consider it an affront to my family that you haven't heard about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain, okay? Let me let me just lay this out for you. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And, and get this, okay? Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money, moolah, from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We'll, we'll see where yeah. we can start this interview. I, I've been calling it an interview, but really, Kirsten, I just know that we're going to have an interesting conversation. I, I feel it. We always have interesting conversations. <laughs> we do. We do. And, and honestly, like, I, I was, like, looking up your uh, bio before this. Like, okay, so full disclosure, talking to Kirsten Scott right now, a great friend of mine, went to high school together, uh, and... You know, before this, I was like, how formal am I going to make this thing? And then I looked at the link where you book the interview to see if there's anything you want to be the plug. And all you wrote was, can't wait, three exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> so there is very little Kirsten cares about me putting out there, um, <laughs> which is great. I love that. I don't follow instructions very well. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't, which has been, and you know what, I'm definitely going to talk to you about that because it, it's curious. I'm going to dive deep into who Kirsten Elizabeth Scott is, KirstenElizabethScott.com. Uh, oh, Kirsten, E-L-I-S-S-A-B-E-T-H, Scott.com. Uh, we'll link to that anyways. So look, here's the deal, Kirsten. Um, you, <laughs> this is the formal way. This is how, this is how podcast professional podcast should go, uh, which mm -hmm. this is, this is not, but it's like, okay, I'm going to read it, read it, read this. Kirsten Scott has been described as a creamy toned mezzo soprano with charm to burn. She has sung throughout the U S as well as abroad. After earning a BA at Wellesley college in Massachusetts, followed by a master's in, look, she's done a lot folks. Okay. She's like the co-founder. <laughs> She's done a lot. You get the picture. All right. Do we need to give you more here? At Kirsten Mezzo. 
Uh, she's doing the Vox Bod thing, uh, which is very interesting about bringing nutrition and singing together. Hey, you know what? Why don't we start here? Here's what I'm curious about, Kirsten. Do you think, like, are you getting anything out of these Zoom performances? Like when it's just you and a microphone and a part you're singing and it, they put it all together and it looks nice, that's great. But like, are you, do you feel good after that? Like, what are you getting from those things? Hell no. No, yeah. don't yeah. feel good. I really don't. And I'm actually glad you're asking because I feel like there's a lot of pressure because everyone is trying to understandably stay positive and stay connected and innovative. But I think that innovation has not gone far enough. And mm. we're kind of falling back on the things that we are familiar with. And one of those things is you know, a video, a, a karaoke track, a kind of basic microphone, and online streaming. That's kind of, we're just very far behind where I think we should be in presenting something in a way that feels new and exciting and in general, behind in, in presenting things that are new and exciting and actually yeah. um, moving, moving. That's what I'm really missing with with all of the kind of, as you said, like the Zoom performances and I've been a part of some of them and, and it just, it's, I'm grateful to have something to do, but it is, it is rough. It's rough and it's not you, the art. Sorry. Well, well, no, I was going to ask. I mean, you, do you think that you are a, I mean, you are just, I, in, in my experience of you, you're a consummate live performer there's something about being in front of an audience and I, and even i don't fully understand it because uh for me i mean i think i have a much more basic primal relationship to an audience in the sense that like why have i done a lot of comedic roles in my life like i need to like kind of check in to make sure i'm doing well get that direct feedback uh constantly like kind of checking in for an applause in a way that that's like just kind of uh, the, there, there's a sickness there, which we can delve into at some point. Um, <laughs> but when you're singing opera, I mean, you're not getting, people are silently focused. Like, what is it you're actually getting when you're performing live, do you think? Well, actually, you do get a lot of verbal um, verbal communication and a lot of expressions from the audience. It depends on the size of the That's venue, true. of course, but the venues that... Yeah, the venues I've performed in um, have been, I mean, there have been some that are large and you always get like applause, you get people laughing. So you get a lot of validation um, and support that way. But in smaller venues and immersive venues, you actually sometimes break the fourth wall and interact with the audience and play off of them and feel out who is willing and uh, yeah, willing to join you in that one improvisational moment on stage. Um, and then you can turn and you can see all the facial expressions of empathy or frustration alongside you. Uh, or you can see that someone is falling asleep and that just makes you laugh. And you're like, I'm going to tell somebody that later. But it's exciting and it's constantly keeping you on your toes. And actually what I did on a very recent uh, Zoom presentation, it wasn't a performance actually. It was me just really talking about being an opera singer and doing um, pants roles, which is when women play male uh, characters mm. in opera. Uh, this was all for pride. And uh, when I was talking about it, I actually scrolled in the Zoom conversation all the way over to the right so that I could see the faces of the people who are watching wow. because it just 
just made me feel more connected to this kind of uh, community we were creating. And that was the first time I've ever actually done that in a Zoom uh, style performance. And I found that actually not sufficient, but better. Yeah. You know what? Now that I think about it, I suppose you're right. Like I didn't even think about, I guess I have this, <laughs> definitely this bias of like, first of all, yeah, that's such a uh, shame on me. Shame on me for not educating myself about what opera actually is, given that I've seen it before. Like I have this, you know, I think people have this idea <laughs> that it's like, you're sitting in this audience, people get up there, they sing sad songs and they just kind of watch you and they applaud at the end. But there are tons of comedies um, mm -hmm. out there. It can be like a heightened, I mean, you know, the closest thing I guess in my mind is like, <laughs> I don't want to equate it to this, but you can have that musical theater comedy experience at a well-written, well-performed opera. Do you agree? Yes. Oh, totally. And and the direction that, the direction that stage directing is going with opera it's so much more uh, applicable and relevant and uh, approachable and uh, the way that they're staging. It's not standard, it, there's not so much plant, what is it called? Oh, park and bark. There's not all that kind of planting your feet and just singing the aria, singing the, the big solo piece. Uh, it's a lot of movement, it's a lot of nuance, it's a lot of reaction, you actually have to act. Um, and the demands on opera singers now, not only to be a phenomenally, you know, finely tuned instrument, uh, you also have to be an artist and a performer uh, and a good actor. So that mm. has changed the game as well. Yeah, does it feel different? I mean, when is, when's the last time you've done like a traditional musical theater role? Have you ever done, have you done that recently at all? Well, I did a cabaret tour in the South, just, uh, I guess that was, maybe in the fall yeah and so that was all musical theater and it was more of a review style so it wasn't a complete role or anything but we did do a lot of choreography that's one of the differences it's there's choreography in musical theater usually yeah. uh everything's a little bit more sticky um yes, so right. i kind of <laughs> there's a yes. lot more um yeah yeah there i mean unless you're doing uh kind of Comedia dell'arte, which is just a kind of, um, kind of a buff, we call it buffo comedy, where it's the slapstick it. kind of comedy in opera. That yes. is what I would equate. That's the closest we get to musical theater in opera. And that tends to be, you know, the, the slapstick comedy, the, you know, <laughs> right. you almost are wishing there were sound effects like whoop. <laughs> Boing. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Here's the, I mean, look, I, then let's break this down right now. I, I want you to give me the different performers' experiences, okay? You standing out there, which you did do in high school, and singing, like imagine right now, you are singing, uh, you know, the prime aria from some big opera. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing your, your, biggest Puccini, you're in Carmen, you're, you're doing whatever it is, the height of that. And then uh -huh. you're coming out the next night and performing, uh, you know, I Dreamed a Dream from Les Mis. After you've done both, like on a, vi and I, I really want you to break this down for me, on a visceral level, is there a different 
what ex- what is the experiential difference of coming out and performing in an opera in that profound way and then in a musical in that profound way or is there none oh wow okay uh let me try let me try this so let's say that the role is carmen as you suggested the opera role is carmen and I am in the middle of singing the card aria, which is when she reads her tarot cards and all of the cards are pointing to her death. They're indicating that she's going to die at the hand of a former lover. So she knows that Don Jose, who she, you know, basically slept with and then, you know, left um, for another man, she knows that it's going to be him and that she's going to die at his hand. And as she's singing this piece, uh, and this is all in French. This is all sung in French. So that's one of the big differences yes, between musical yes. theater and opera. It's usually, usually, not you're, in usually you're, I'm not singing. Yeah. I mean, there are operas, lots of operas in English, but there are many, many more um, in other, uh, usually French, Italian, German. Uh, those are kind of the main ones. But anyway, I'm so I'm sitting out there about how I'm reading my cards and my death is imminent and it's going to be at the hand of. Don Jose and the character Carmen's character is amazing because she's so complex. She's so strong. She's so ahead of her time and her sense of self and not being dictated by other people, especially men. Um, and yeah. so from a role perspective, she is, she's very much a, you know, an in control, badass 21st century <laughs> woman. I mean, right. in many respects, which is fascinating because it obviously was not written in the 21st century. And then um, I'd say vocally, obviously the techniques uh, from from opera to musical theater are very, very different. And the only way I can explain that um, in some kind of physical visual is with opera, it's all about a sensation of focused yawning. (laughs) Like everything you do, Everything you do in opera, it always kind of stems from the source of the yawn, which raises up your soft palate. So if you yawn right now, Greg, the back soft palate goes up and that, that spot, that's kind of what you have to, you have to have that lifted soft palate. And then also this hyper-focused kind of right in the mask of your face, right? I think of it as like the tip of my nose everything is kind of focused and shooting out from the tip of my nose, but with this space in my mouth um, that's allowing for the sound to bloom. That's kind of, it's very, and and because it's so loud, because we don't use microphones in opera, everything, it's all about, you know, uh, bouncing sound through your, you know, through your vocal cords up to the hard palate and the soft palate off of your teeth and out and projecting in that kind of a way. Um, it's an all a full body sensation really. And, and actually more often than not, after I'm done singing an aria, which is just the big solo piece in, um, mm-hmm. in an opera, my whole body is just like buzzing and shaking. And so then you can, uh, you compare that to when, you know, you're saying the next night I'm doing Fantine and singing yes. I'm doing the dream and lame is. Yes. So technically that is one, a very low role, which is fine because I'm a mezzo-soprano, which means I'm not as high as a soprano. And so Fantine's a great role, but I'm really thinking about accessing my chest voice. So when I'm doing my chest voice, 
I don't really have such a focus um, with musical theater on having that soft palette yawny space. I'm really focused on just carrying, almost carrying the weight up for my chest, which isn't as healthy of a sound. Um, mm. and it, it fatigues you. It fatigues you much faster, but, but also has a different sensation because it's almost like yelling. Like with opera, you never feel like you're yelling because you've always got this very healthy position of your sound. Um, and it can be, and, it, and it, with all the support that it requires, your body is amazingly engaged and shaking in with excitement and whatever. But in musical theater, it's really just the sensation of like very satisfying yelling, you wow. know, because it's yeah. not so much about, because in, in operatic technique is so particular. You really have to have a constant, consistent technique. And, and every single person kind of has a similar technique. You know, it's very, I mean, this is drilled into you for, for years and years and years of training. Whereas musical theater really allows for people to be a little bit more unique, a little bit more interpretive. There aren't kind of standards, repertoire standards, like in, they are in opera where it's like, you need to sing it this way. You can't slide there. That's not appropriate. So you, you lose a little bit of your freedom of artistry in mm. opera because it is such a rigid, uh, it's, it's flexible only within a certain kind of parameter. Whereas right. musical theater is like anything goes, you go for it, whatever your soul feels inspired to do. And I find that really satisfying in a very different way. Musical theater is less virtuosic in my mind, you know, because it's not as focused on technique, technique, technique. Um, but it is extremely passionate. And yeah. I always, always feel like I just lose myself. I really can lose myself in musical theater. Uh, whereas in opera, I lose myself, but also kind of always have like a little bit of a check-in, checking back in with like, okay, technique, this passage right here is particularly fast and needs to be supported. And we need to make sure that we're taking in, you know, and that, that never, when you can't shut off the technique brain um, fully, I think you do kind of, lack a little bit of like that in the moment magic which sometimes is my problem with opera I just don't like that it's not as free as musical theater but obviously I right. love it as well so <laughs> yeah no no that's a really good breakdown I mean I it, you know, what you're making me realize Kirsten is that I so when I went to college I always thought Shakespeare was so dreadfully boring like I think and I think our high school teachers honestly uh, did a disservice to the yeah. work thanks DS uh Dover <laughs> Sherburn High School get better uh yeah no I mean they really did not inspire us to want to really learn about it I mean we saw a terrible terrible production of Romeo and Juliet when we were like freshmen and the best part of that was that they were passing out free condoms at Babson and it looked like it was the first time anybody's ever touched one of those things so um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember there were like kids blowing up balloon animals of condoms at like the Babson cafeteria it was ridiculous but um so the the fact that that was more interesting than the perhaps the greatest love story of our time uh makes me go okay they didn't nail that but then i got to school and uh, you even even you even saw me in a production of the scottish play when i was in college um i certainly did very very different um but what was great about it and about Shakespeare that I realized was that 
I mean, it's it's honestly more interesting a lot of the time. The plot lines are Game of Thrones level tragedy. Like the level of, I mean, it's insane what happens in some of those stories compared to just a regular, even like a Chekhov realism play. Like what's going on in Shakespeare is so moldable and so profoundly like delving into the depths of soul's betrayal, uh, you know, murder, suicide. I mean, all these, all these extreme things. Now, this is what happened with me with opera too. Thought it was boring. Thought it was like, okay, you know, my friend Kirsten loves this thing, but like, Come on, what, what does she really like about it? Did she, <laughs> I was like, I mean, I, don't <laughs> worry. I always supported you, Kirsten. I always supported you, but the, I know. <laughs> but I the know. medium, I was like, what is this? And then I saw Madame Butterfly at the Met, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this is more interesting than some musical theater I've just seen. This is more interesting than some plays that like these NYU students have put on. This is a beautiful story. It's well done. And obviously the Mets, which you've had the chance to perform at and be honored for, by the way, I'm just trying to boost you up right now. Um, but you have, Kirsten. <laughs> you, you've, 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 you've done a lot. But the Mets, it, I mean, they put on like a beautiful, that was, I'll admit something to you right now. I, there was like, I can't even describe this. A woman walked across the st- This was the curtain call of this show. Woman walked across the stage with like a, with like a dress that it, it extended the entire length like silk and then descended a staircase. It was like red covering every bump of the stairs, contrasting it. And I, I cried. I have never cried at a curtain call in my entire life, but I, <laughs> I sat there. The, the, the show was great too, but like the curtain call uh-huh. made me cry. I was like, this, there's something just wow. so profoundly beautiful about the, I've never seen a stage picture that beautiful in my entire life. Um, yeah. Well, the Met is, uh, the Met is known for the spectacle, right? So it's really, opera is really expensive to do in the kind of, old way, if you will. Uh, And by that, I mean, you know, the millions and millions of dollars that go into each production with the incredible sets that are, you know, period appropriate with all the details and all the costuming. I mean, that is the spectacle of that is what you pay for when you go to the Met, um, as well as, of course, the voices. um, But it is really a spectacle. And what actually I'm more of a, a more a part of now is the kind of underground opera world. I was going to ask you about is, that. Yeah. So there's this massive movement, especially, and it's only been bolstered by COVID-19, actually, um, this kind of anti-Met movement of wow. opera companies, small and mid-level and even larger, that are starting to take on models that make uh, that bring the budget down and make it more accessible because obviously at the Met I mean how much did you pay for your ticket Greg right I mean I didn't it was a gift from my aunt that's the (laughs) one reason I went of course right (laughs) that's the thing we can only we as 20 something 30 something year olds cannot attend the Met unless we get this standing room tickets at the very back for like the rush tickets for 20 25 dollars I think it is or um or you know our 
our secure, financially secure parent or aunt is able to get in for us. So right, right. There's a real issue accessing the younger generation um, with the Met. I actually work very closely with uh, some of the uh, education and outreach at the Met. And they're doing an amazing job trying to reach, you know, the 40 and under crowd. But when you have a product that is, is kind of, it's, you're, you're paying for the, the, how do I say this without sounding like an asshole? No, no, please sound like one. That's what this is about. (laughs) You're paying for the kind of be seen at the, at the Metropolitan Opera in New York City, all the glitz and glam, you know, it's, it's really the experience of going somewhere historic, going somewhere ritzy, um, and of course to see operatic stars. But I think people really put opera up in this pedestal and and think that it's unattainable financially because of that. And you've really got all these these uh, smaller companies producing incredible, incredible productions. Some of them are a little like mixture of traditional with modern. Some are completely avant-garde. Some are bare bones. Some have full orchestras. Some have just one or two instruments and they've reduced everything else. I mean, it's really how we're going to keep opera alive moving forward and show the world that there are really interesting uh, current themes to explore, even in these things written several hundred years ago. Yeah, um, and I wanted to why, ask you yeah. about that. I want it, it's yeah. specifically Bear Opera, um, because you yeah. are a founding member. And well, first of all, anything called Bear Opera makes me wonder if we should, you know, be passing out free condoms again. Obviously, yes, you're not stripping. Okay, this isn't some, well, are you actually? I don't think you are. Well, no, I mean, we're, that's not part of our brand, but we are stripping opera of its cliché. There we go. We are reimagining it. Yeah, yeah, we're yes. reimagining it uh, for the 21st century audience, for the younger audience, uh, for audiences that are familiar with opera and new to opera. Yes. Yeah, we actually thought about naming it Guerrilla Opera, but it was taken. So we said, nope. But what we, what we, we do like to keep it classy as well. We do love a little bit of kind of, you know, bougie flair. We have our wine sponsor and we like to kind of keep it grungy, but also polished, if that makes any sense. Like we love the juxtaposition of many different things. Well, Kirsten, to me- But it's in, you know, a, a dilapidated law. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's awesome that you're doing that. And I'll definitely let people know about this. I mean, to me, Kirsten, you uh, definitely are a juxtaposition of different things. Uh, if there's anything about you, um, <laughs> then my entire life, I'm like, this girl is always sort of, I mean, I, I, I want you to speak to that a little bit because I'm curious about this. From everything I know about you growing up, uh, with you, you you always have a, and I and I think it comes from your parents, uh, a classical sensibility. Like if you're gonna hang out with Kirsten Scott, you're gonna be, or at least, hmm, uh, yeah, you are, you are. I saw your poster in the background. I mean, if you're gonna hang out with Kirsten Scott, you're gonna like get the best of Jane Austen. But also like some Jane Lynch, <laughs> some Jane Lynch in there too. Like you're gonna you're gonna get like the worlds yeah. combined. Um, do you find yourself? I mean, does that put you in a weird? Do Do you ever think of yourself like as classically raised, but like kind of going subverting that? What What is that for you? 
Well, I I have always loved confusing people. Oh, yeah, talk about I think, that. I think you, yeah. So I think that that love of not being put in a box, and but then but then even that love of boxes and then rejecting the boxes. It's it's like this. Uh. I'm I'm a chameleon, and I'm also I can't blend. I I feel like that's the place. That's my happy place to this exist in friends. a way that this is it. Yeah, yeah. I just, I really love to try new things, but also have habits and build things into my schedule. And I love to create, but also I love to organize. And I have a lot of different parts of my brain um, that get very uh, activated by being both a performer. Uh, you know, I, I love, we were talking about it earlier, VoxBob, my company. So I'm also just a complete serial entrepreneur. Like I love starting businesses. I love experimenting with ideas and things and mm. seeing if I can turn them into businesses. You know, yeah. I, I get very excited about, about just the things that I do, whatever I fill my time with, I'm really passionate about it and really devoted to it. Um, and, and it leads for, it, you know, leads to a really interesting and, and satisfying life for me. One that is not as predictable or, um, yeah, I, no one can look at my life and say, well, in five years, this is where she's going to be. Uh, yes. And, it's and been, I like that. It's been frustrating. Um, <laughs> no, it hasn't been frustrating, but it's been, <laughs> <I> mean, it, <laughs> um, but it's been, it's definitely, it, it took a learning curve. I mean, full disclosure, like I met you um, doing, oh gosh, in middle school, we were in a show together um, and Beauty and the Beast. I was the beast. You were the beauty. Duh. Uh, Would you possibly be my friend? Yes. Da, da, we were da, in this. Da, 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 da. <laughs> for everybody to, people <laughs> need to realize right now that we were in a knockoff version. Disney hadn't re released the rights yet. So we were in the enchantment of Beauty and the Beast, which was really not. I, I almost wish they tried a little harder to make it closer to the actual one. Mm -hmm. Like you had siblings, oh, yeah. you had like these siblings that were chasing you. Um, it was a little like Cinderella with Beauty and the Beast. Yes, yes, yes. The first song was uh, Mark coming out and going, I'm a prince, bum, bum, bum. I'm a prince, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> He's a prince. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then and then they got a little bit in the the best part is when they would like kind of sample Disney lines in it like fables and fairy tales pause a tale as old as time. I'm like come on guys. Come on. I guess you can't copyright that phrase. But you uh, can't copyright that phrase. <laughs> a tale as old as time. Yeah, I mean, look, it was it was great, but I mean, look, I was like this girl. I, well, yeah, I it, you know, I think the last time we talked, I kind of broke this down for you. And it, it was a funny conversation because I was like, okay, this girl comes in from middle school. She starts dating this jockey guy. So it's like who is she? 
well, she's a girl that likes hanging out with jocks, but she also likes singing. Now she's doing the musical. So is she a drama kid or is she like one of those popular girls? Hard to know. She's doing it at the same time. Then in high school, you're like doing the musical, <laughs> but then you're not doing it. And then you like co-found the drama club with me, but then you start doing like you're, you're you know, <laughs> you're, you're on boats every day doing crew. And then like, it's like, oh my gosh, she is constantly surprising people, surprising people with who you're going out with surprising people with like your after school activities like it you could not pin down also you like you're you're a mormon that's a part of that that's like a people put, put mm -hmm. that in there and they're like what um i mean it is now look my theory on this is that you get bored i've always been like i think this girl like adapts a phase then finds something else and just moves to it but are you, when you say that you like the idea of not putting yourself in a box and confusing people, I'm curious now, how active are you in pursuing that? Or do you just say that looking back appreciatively in retrospect? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say because it certainly evolved. I mean, when I, so I'm 31 now and when I graduated from college, I would say I spent a solid few years when I was in grad school studying opera and everything, you know, really focused on becoming a professional opera singer. And all of my, I didn't have that need to not be put in a box at that time, which is really interesting because there, I, I in, in the high school, middle school, you just described, I was all over the place doing so many different things. And, you know, even growing up, I, I, my parents always supported me in all of the things I wanted to try. So I got to like try horseback riding. I got to try playing the violin. I was horrible. I got to try playing the flute. Right. I was also horrible. Um, and then singing stuck. I think that I try so many different things because one YOLO, you only have one life to live. And yes. I want to make sure I get to try. I want to make sure I'm doing the things that make me happy. And, and, uh, and certainly I don't know if boredom is the right thing, but I think looking for inspiration in unique and new activities or pursuits and kind of, I, that's kind of why I do it. I, I think that I start, I take ideas that I have and I develop them Sometimes, I mean, some more seriously than others, obviously, like Bear Opera, we did everything the right way, you know, legally, lawyers, 501c3. I mean, that was a, a team effort, like massive, um, massive development process. But with like the small, smaller companies that I've started or the little ventures I've done, I mean, just during COVID, a friend of mine um, and I started making these body scrubs because we were mm. bored. So there's the boredom thing. We were bored and we thought, oh, let's make these body scrubs. And then we thought, oh my gosh, maybe we could monetize this. And then we realized that we actually don't really want to be making body scrubs, but it served its purpose. You know, we wanted, we were craving some kind of creative outlet, some inspiration, and then we got it by how making you, these body scrubs. <laughs> how do you, I mean, yeah, that, 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 that sounds amazing. Um, uh, do you, I mean, how do you follow through? I, I mean, really, like I'm looking at the bearopera.org website and uh, I'm like, wow, you are someone that I admire 
for <laughs> am i am i envious am i jealous maybe no i'm appreciative um <laughs> we'll have to examine that um no no I, I i'm actually generally like impressed by you constantly i'm never like sitting in the corner being like kirsten's done it all oh my gosh like no no i'm like wow i'm amazed that in the time i've known this girl she has had so many ideas and she's followed through all the way. Like, talk to me about the process, like for the body scrubs, as an example. Do you, yeah. when you're like, I'm going to take on this project, are you like, do you map out everything? Do you just like zone in and just work, work, work all the way through? Like, how does an idea get from Kirsten's brain into manifesting into reality? Uh, I always do a budget. That's the thing I do. I, to see if it's even possible because I don't start things that require, uh, you know, require more than $200 out of my pocket. Um, wow. I'm not, I don't have capital for that. You know, like I, unless I'm, and, and Bear, Bear Opera started because we did an Indiegogo campaign, uh, and that helped fund our first, and we got a lot of donations because people were really excited by the concept. So there was a lot of promotion and networking and generosity on the part of our donors and supporters, but out of our own pockets, again, we all spent, you know, under $200 just with website hosting and trying to, um, uh, I don't know, like what were the other things we just, just application fees and filing for certain, uh, you know, Google suite, getting all the email accounts, you know, it, 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 getting a square account to accept credit card payments. I mean, all those little fees that kind of take quite a bit of money uh, up front, that's all we really covered and the rest we fundraised for. And so for something like, you know, uh, the body scrubs, I immediately did a budget, figured out what I could buy um, in bulk, how much it would cost me to produce like a first, I don't know, 20, 25 to 50 body scrubs. And based on the recipe that she and I were using, and then I bought the ingredients and we just made them and that was it. And it's mm -hmm. really, I think you can do, if you have the means. Kirsten, you're breaking up a little bit. Wait a second. Pay for sort of the initial. Uh, or where you need. Oh no! Wait a minute. Oh no! It's How about now? Good. Is it better? It is better. <laughs> I know. Should we? Uh, just, I know. Should we go traditional? Yeah. Whatever. It's yeah. Fine. It's fine. Let me. Let me do. Where this did you lose me? For the sake of here, for they. This is like a trick in podcast editing. You like. So you're talking about the budget. So if you have the means to do it, you're looking at the, you looked at the amount of money for the scrubs and then where'd you go from there? Uh, bought, bought it because I, I came in my under $200 uh, kind of budget that I always give myself for these things and started making them, you know, ordered on Amazon, um, actually at Costco. I used it could, because they're actually ingredients for a body scrub, you actually need physical ingredients in hand so it's not singing <laughs> um, yeah. so I ordered from Costco and got the ingredients and started making them with my friends so are you telling me that uh, money is really not the root of all evil <laughs> I think that 
I think money is. Oh. You were good I at math. That, you were good at math in high school. I remember. I was not. I was not good at. Math. <laughs> you I were was average. I was. I was solidly average. Um, Did you do BC calculus? Yeah. No. I mean. No, I did AB. Oh, see, that's well. Okay, I did AP stats, so we're we're about the same. That's fine. Um, <laughs> those BC <laughs> Calc kids that had like Mr. Bridger, those were like those were people I consider exceptional at math. I.e., my two sisters. I.e., if your sister went to our school, probably. Um, <laughs> like. Oh but, yeah, no, she did all the crazy stuff. But money is helpful. Money is so. But that's interesting. That budget is the first thing. I guess it does make sense in terms of, um, is that really a common thread across all the things you pursue? Like even, uh, I mean, whatever, even when you're like taking on a project of someone's like, Kirsten, we want you to tour with us. Are you looking at the money first? Is that really your filter? Well, when it comes to somebody else hiring me, I immediately look at the value of the opportunity and then I look at how much they're willing to pay me for it uh, because I'm willing to do, do things for way less money than maybe I should be paid for that. Um, if it seems like it's a valuable uh, way to advance my career, or maybe I just really want to, it offers me something else. So, you know, maybe it's the ability to travel somewhere that I haven't been to. And so I'm, I'm willing to accept a lower fee because they'll cover my housing and my airfare, you know, it's, it's a, a, it's a balancing act for sure. Um, Let's put this out there so right now comes, for everybody that so, wants to book Kirsten for you. <laughs> I want the world to know just so you don't actually have to do this, but it would be a funny exercise to me. Um, I totally love you. No, let's do it. I'm so here for this. <laughs> Are you ready? COVID-19 is like just wiped all, all kind of decorum or whatever pride out of me. I'm like, <laughs> I just want to perform. Ah. All right. All right. So look, we're in, we're in not even post pandemic. It, they say it's post, it's not post. We're in the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. But say, say we get to the future where you're willing to go. Actually, you know what? Let's, present moment someone right now wants to book kirsten scott for one hour live singing in their home in new york city nice manhattan penthouse they'll feed you they'll they'll give you they'll give you nice uh liquids <laughs> to to pour down <laughs> your instrument before or after you can you can loosen up whatever it takes they'll even tip you but to get you in the door to perform that one-hour concert for my gathering of 10 people or less, how much am I paying you? Uh, quick question. Am I learning specific new repertoire for this concert, or can I do what I have in my repertoire book already? Repertoire book. Give me one hour of Kirsten. $1,500. $1,500? That's pretty good. Yes. I think. Yeah, no, it's not... It's not bad, and, and that's because I don't have to learn any new stuff. I just have to rehearse it with presumably a pianist. You gotta pay, you gotta pay the, for the pianist separately, but I have a wonderful pianist, wonderful roster of pianists that would be more than willing to join me uh, for the soiree at your home. But yeah, no, my fee is, is $1,500 for that. And Wow, um, is that too cheap? 
Uh, I think that given my level of experience, um, I think given, yeah, I, I think given my level of experience, it's on the middle to lower end of, of cost, but I need work. And I think that it's fair. And yeah. I, I also think that most people know that $1,500 for a one hour concert with an opera singer who has some, some good credits and uh, uh, whatnot. I think that, that that they recognize they're getting a good deal and therefore will probably really enjoy themselves and want to work with you again. What do you think about the idea of, oh, sorry, sorry. No, no I mean, no. I, I, I hope they recommend you to a friend. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was wondering if this was like a thing that happens. Like, does this, do people just book opera singers? For, I'm sure they do. Yeah, I actually have, I still have a gig. That's literally what you described um, in, in the beginning of October. They haven't canceled it yet. Oh my so, gosh. Will you go? Yeah, that's, liter feel safe that's about literally, that? uh, I am, I'm a little nervous. I definitely am nervous and I'm playing it, you know, I'm taking it one day at a time. I'm also going to the UK in a week. So I'm That's not right. sure if I will even be here. Oh my gosh, you're getting out. You're so smart. You're so, please. But are they going to let you in? Then they put a ban? Are you going to be able to get in? The EU put a ban, but the UK is no longer part of the EU. Oh my gosh. That's, that's her. Brexit. That's right. Things I never thought I'd say. Wow. 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 I yeah, mean, you were going to have a nervous. wedding. What's up with the wedding? Yeah. Is it's we going to have to be. I mean. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm like, I'm bringing up everything. Look, Kirsten has a fiance. Okay. All of you listening right now that are like, I'm going to pay $1,500 to see if I want to marry an opera singer one day. <laughs> You can't marry this one. Is that what people do? <laughs> They're gonna. They're gonna start no. after this. No, you can't. Yeah, seriously. Um, I'm sure. You are a you really... are a taken woman at this moment. Um with someone that's <laughs> yeah, kind of haven't awesome. seen my fiance. Oh my gosh, how long has yeah. it been since you've we seen We haven't seen uh almost almost five months. Whoa. Wow. I know, right? Did everyone's mine just like blow up because mine continues to every time I say that out loud. Oh my gosh. <sighs> what do, do you have any recommendation for couples out there that are struggling to keep it together during these times? Do things together and do it, do them consistently. Mm. So yeah. Do you want an example? Yeah. Give me an example. So I am really into fitness and nutrition and health and my fiance is you know healthy but not really into nutrition and health and fitness but he joined me on a body challenge that I signed up for and we have now uh, we we zoom or facetime or whatever every single day to do our workouts together uh 8 a.m my time 1 p.m his time we have wednesdays off and sundays off but usually we will i mean we pretty much facetime yeah no we definitely facetime like every day but just to have that uh repeated 
workout session together where, you know, the, the weirdest shit happens when you're, when you're working out with somebody, you know, it, it seems sometimes you just want it to get over with. And you're just like, Oh, I'm so irritated. I don't want to be working out right now. And you're kind of yeah. pissed off at your partner. Like I sometimes get really irritated that he just like is there, you know, forcing <laughs> me to do this workout because if right. he, if he weren't doing it with me, that I wouldn't be held accountable. God, that, that sucks. And then we right. get in the middle of, you know, we get to the middle of the workout and then I just start something shifts, you know, like we conversation is flowing. We're laughing. Maybe we're like, ah, this sucks. Ah, I can't, my leg just gave out. I'm on the floor. Like, you know, it, it doesn't, it's just, it's kind of silly, ordinary stuff, but the fact that we do it kind of so consistently, um, oh my goodness, my dog is growling. What is that Wolfie? Um, but the fact that we do that consistently is, uh, I think what, where we kind of keep the magic going and we have dates and stuff, but everything is done through FaceTime or, you know, a video chat or something like that. And that yeah. gets super old, super fast. Oh, I'm sure. I'm uh, sure. Yeah, that's, it sucks. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is you hear a lot about the people who are stuck in together during this time like there was especially at the beginning of the pandemic there was a lot of like oh couples divorce attorneys are gonna are so happy right now because people that got married too quickly people are now forced to be with each other <laughs> yeah and it's it's gonna be like the, the relationships are suffering but you don't hear yeah. about the long distance stuff and i'm wondering if people overall, I mean, I, I don't know too many people that are in situations like you are in, but for the people that are, uh, how are those relationships going? Do you think? I mean, I think uh, uh, I, it's hard to generalize. I think I'm really in love with the person that I'm going to marry and that I'm doing this long distance thing with. So that helps. Yes, I yes. Uh, feel super like it's a very um, mutually respectful, enthusiastic, passionate, loving, kind, uh, patient relationship. So that is wow. probably more the reason why we're able to to do this long distance. How do you uh, find that, both, Kirsten? Always get, what, <laughs> How do I get one of that? those? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Nick is a Nick is just a magical unicorn human being. Sometimes I say that to him. I'm like, you're just like this unicorn that like just doesn't, I don't know how you even exist. You know, he just, he just does. And he's uh, phenomenal. He's just all the right kind of yin to my yang or whatever, you know, it just, we really are a good team. And, and what, you know, he has a way of diffusing me when I, when I get really combative or, you know, emotionally combative, not physically. Good Lord. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, um, it is not an abusive relationship. Oh my uh, gosh, it's <laughs> very heavy for this. Um, yeah, yes, but I—he's—he's he's a way of like, kind of laughing with me in those moments, and it just completely diffuses whatever silly thing I'm fixating on that's like making me freak out or whatever. And I think I do the same thing for him, which I also think is pretty unique for me because I've lived my whole life pretty much just focusing on my needs myself. Uh, you know, I am the most important thing in my life. Yeah. And now I feel like I genuinely have someone else. Um, aside from my dog, my dog, I care about more than life itself. Um, right. But then also now I have this other human being that I care about 
so much and, and it makes me better. And that I think is why also I don't have any, like the distance drives me crazy because I just crave to be in his presence and to talk to him. Um, but, but like we've said it many, many times in conversations, like I'm, I'm upset and worried because I'm desperate to see you and just move our lives forward like move our life together forward but also if this had to drag on for years and years and years I would still wait and that's that's absolutely how I feel I mean it's really weird old school you know uh letter writing vibes except not thank god for technology uh but it's really nice and I I've I've tried to do some long distance in small capacities throughout my life with relationships and they've all been horrible and not the people, just the relationships and just not the right fit for me. And I always felt so like insecure, unhappy, uh, stressed, uh, freaked out. You know, if we would spend a month apart, I was just, I was a wreck the whole time. Um, and I think the sign of a good relationship is one where it's kind of like you're invincible as a couple, like nothing can shake you. Now, and look, Kirsten, this that's is all exactly where we are. It's amazing that you're doing that. Here's what I want to tell you. If Kirsten Scott from before you met Nick, well, maybe not. I, okay. Play with this hypothetical. Would the Kirsten Scott that's not dating this guy like hearing the Kirsten Scott that is a fiance and that has this fiance. I'm just ma- imagining like, and maybe this is just me projecting, but if I was a New York city woman right now, and I heard that you're as successful that you are and you found this relationship, I would be like, this girl is so unfairly lucky. She's luckier than I am. <laughs> Why does this girl have it all? What the heck? I hate everything about her. Da, 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 da. And it's like, well, look, there's no reason to. You're such a nice person. You're such a lovely person. Like you deserve happiness, obviously. But I can also, you know, I'm like, this, it's amazing this has worked out. So I wonder if there's anything practical you could tell. I mean, I wonder this too. I, my answer, I've talked about it with some people I've even had conversations within this podcast is always like it's logistical keep dating you'll find the person but i don't think you've done a lot of online dating and also uh you have gone through bad relationships before so i mean is there any if someone was like kirsten how do you find someone like that i live in new york city uh or a big metropolis i have no idea how to do it i mean what what would you even tell them wow i mean I think when you said that I've been in some relationships, like some bad relationships, I, I actually don't, it's funny. I don't see them as bad anymore mm. because, mm. uh, because I really, rather than going with what is easy, you go with what you need. Um, and that for, for all of my, every single one of my relationships, um, and in decreasing like levels as I got older and older, but every single one of the relationships, I sacrificed so much of who I am and what I want. And I lost sight in all of those relationships of, of myself, my independence, my worth, like, you know, you know, you name it. And it Mm. happened in this kind of like gradual, like insidious, you know, fashion. I don't blame my partners, Mm. you know, like the people that I dated, 
uh, I don't blame them at all. It just, I allowed, and those, and th those, those, uh, the, our dynamic just didn't support uh, me being me. And so I think anytime you're quieting your true self or you're trying to keep certain things um, in a, someone else's life prioritized over your own, eventually that's going to creep out in the form of either, you know, resentment or some kind of, you know, real, real realization that this is not right. And I had in all of those relationships, I had that realization of this is not right. But one of them in particular, which is the main, the big relationship I had before meeting Nick, uh, I was totally like, I was so in love, but I'd completely lost sight of myself. Mm. I was deeply unhappy and I was terrified of the future because I felt like the future would not be dictated by my needs. It would be dictated by their. Right. And, um, and that ultimately it was the realization that even though you love someone, it doesn't make it right. Um, it doesn't make it like the right thing for you. And that to recognize that I deserved a relationship that made me feel uh, empowered, supported, like I could pursue my goals and be independent, but also be there as uh, a rock for them as well. I always have been really good at, you know, being a rock for other people, um, but then really losing sight of myself. So I got out of a really painful relationship. Um, well, I guess I, I painfully got out of a relationship that I thought was going to be my forever relationship because on some like deep fundamental level, despite still loving that person, I could not do that to myself for the rest of my life. And when you talk about the rest of your life, because that's really what I want out of a, a kind of a lifelong long commitment, I want it to be for the rest of my life. I wanna believe in the relationship and its ability to grow and change with, you know, with me and over time um, and with us. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't see that. And so I completely freaked out and was like, oh my God, holy shit, I've been going down this path and I thought it was the right path for so many years. And now, oh my God, I have to undo it all. Because if I don't undo it all, I know where this is going. It's just going to continue to do the same thing it's been doing. And the same thing that it's been doing is not how I am going to spend the rest of my life. And so I ripped the bandaid off, had the most painful series of conversations I've ever had in my life. And then after ending that, after having rebounds and healing and trying to figure out exactly what I, Kirsten, wanted, I met Nick and I met him online because he's a friend of my sister's and I creepily Instagram messaged him. <laughs> That's uh, fair. That's fine. <laughs> yep. And I kind of, I mean, I don't want to say instantly because I don't believe in, you know, love at first sight or love at first talk or whatever we call it in the 21st century. But within a matter of weeks, the like the openness, the honesty, the uh, mutual like understanding and kind of uh, just the flow of the conversation made me think that this was something that I really, really wanted to explore. And we did, and it moved really quickly because we, because in a long distance relationship, it's like, well, am I going to continue to spend $500 round trip back in the day? Now it would be like, you know, $2,000 round trip. Oh, yes. Because there are no flights. Um, but yeah, you, you, it's a real, it's a financial commitment to date somebody 
who lives in another country and he lives in the UK and I live in New York city. And, um, this really turned into just like me talking about love life. My God, no, that's uh, here for it. That's <laughs> what this is. Hey, look, I know it. And it's, do you have, do you have time right now? I I'm still curious. Yeah, about yeah. This. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let me know when you have to go, but this is, I want to keep going into this. So yeah, you're, you're saying that, um, well, look, it was always about love life with us from the beginning. Oh yeah. I mean, for some what reason. What is there? If you don't have love, what do you have? It's true. And you know, I, well, I, um, I want to close this there. I, I realize there are several loops in this episode that I've kept open, um, which is again, apropos uh if, one being that um shakespeare okay so just so some to satisfy some of the minds of the listeners my comparison was that shakespeare to straight plays is like opera to musicals in the sense that ding 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 you're thinking of shit yeah okay so there's that let's close that loop for those of you that were wondering if we'd ever get back to it Let's satisfy your brains for that. Um, back to the love factor, though. Um, so you're saying that this this was, uh, well, if we're going to talk about, I guess the question I asked was about advice for the women out there. Uh, what I'm hearing from you is something that uh, it, it seems very important. I mean, you mentioned that you had a lot to rip open the band-aid and really unpack a lot of things. My understanding, what it sounds like, and it even does sound like that this was the idea of you going through your sister's friends and reaching out to someone that you thought was kind of interesting um, is part of this. And this is what I, this is what it is. You from this relationship that you had that was big caused you to rip open the band-aid there was a moment where you realized that you weren't fully inviting the kind of love that the best highest version of kirsten scott could invite it was like an identity absolutely it's an identity transformation you have to make and i think that's what a lot of people uh i mean it's it's really tricky with dating it's really tricky because you it's i get trapped in this all the time it's so easy to just go for cheap affection it's so easy you settle mm -hmm. it's easy to settle it really is oh yeah with online dating i mean and you know i just think that if you were to if you were to reach out to speak to all my hundreds of interested female fans of this show that has just started. Um, <laughs> if you were to reach out <laughs> to them and speak to them and they're like, Kirsten, how are you doing it? Girl, you've got it. I hate you because you're so happy, which by the way, we've definitely broken things down before. I mean, we definitely like, <laughs> we've definitely, I, I've been with you sometimes from the sidelines, like, you know, eating popcorn and hoping for happiness to crumble uh, just for our amusement so we can feel better egoically in the moment. I've done it. We've done it before. But um, I, I don't think it has to be that way. I think what it could be is that you went through an experience that shaped you in such a way that you were like, okay, now it's time for me to actually go looking for what I deserve. And I believe that if you had talked to this guy 
And if there was any moment you're like, this conversation is weird and it feels unhealthy, I at least I would hope that you would. I, I think you would from that last relationship that you had, you would have cut it off. You would have said, Nick, I can't talk to you anymore. I'm looking for something else. It's calling yourself yeah. to a higher standard. Yeah. And actually what, what I want to amend in what you're saying is that this is not just for women, that this actually, I think this advice is advice that uh, suits any person who is looking for a more permanent, um, stable love. And not everybody's looking for that also, which I totally recognize. Like also at my, at certain points in my life, I wasn't looking for that as well. You know, like you have to decide time is precious. You decide how you want to spend it. Um, and for me, uh, making, finding somebody that I can like really build a partnership with for hopefully the rest of my life, that is really a priority and something that interests me. So once I, once I realized and identified that that was a priority for me and it kind of, and also, I, I think also we're afraid of, uh, making decisions cause we're afraid of losing the opportunity to do other things. We kind of get frozen in our, our inaction. Um, mm. in, like I think in life in general, this is something that, uh, maybe I've struggled with a little bit in, in relationships, but not so much in career stuff where I'm like, I'm constantly in action. I'm constantly trying, putting myself out there. So I tried to kind of implement that, I think in my actual personal life where you, you ask for what you want, you go for what you want, you try things out. And if it's not working, don't waste your fucking time because mm. that's like, time is precious. And I don't want to say that I wasted time because you no know, time that you learn something about yourself is wasted and therefore nothing really is wasted. But in looking back a little bit, there are things that I prolonged because of that thing of, you know, fear, the fear of, um, being uncomfortable, you know, the, the slipping into something that's easy and easy to maintain and okay, you know, it's just fine. Um, and I don't want just fine. And I don't think, I don't think most people actually want just fine. I think, but people do settle and, and settle because, it's scary to, to have to actually articulate what you need and what you want and that it may not align with the easiest option. Um, cause nobody really likes hard work, you know? So especially not in America. Land yes. The, yes. The no, you're absolutely right. This is great advice for, uh, people of all genders and persuasions. Uh, for sure. I, I definitely, I mean, it's definitely applicable to me in terms of, I, I, I guess I've never really thought about, uh, people always use the metaphor of like your job interview should be like a first date or like the first interview, the first date is like a job interview. And it's like, well, what if it was, what if you were actually looking for a role and you took it that seriously? Like it, it, it could be, they're the same things. You are ultimately going after something that you want for time in your life. Like time in life is limited, go after it, make it the best. You wouldn't stay at a company for three years if it was mm -hmm. crappy, but a lot of people do. A lot of people do. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, yeah, taking it, taking it that seriously is great. Uh, you know, you are such a, <laughs> we, we have opened a lot of conversational loops here. Would you say, would you recommend people go into their siblings uh, mutual friends list and, or just their list <laughs> uh, to find no, potential partners. No, I, I mean, 
no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say go into it. I think, I think a certain level of like searching for it is a little stalkery if you're going into like your sister's thing, but she had just posted something about him because she had gone as his plus one, um, to, to a wedding. And, uh, she posted all these things, you know, ladies, he's single and ready to mingle or something, something. Was your sister married at this Um, time or, or this was this? She was, no, she was was getting married in like three months. So Did you was, steal uh, your serious. sister's chance at actual <laughs> romance here? Like, was oh she my really, God. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know she she may have been engaged, but okay, okay, I'm just wondering. <laughs> Don't worry, they were they were solidly friends, which is actually why she made the post because she wanted to make sure. I think that she wanted to make sure that people knew that she was in fact still engaged to her now husband, and that this was a friend, which is yes. also so annoying because men and women can be friends and we don't have to jump to these conclusions that just because you go as someone's plus one and you are opposite genders I mean how binary and how hetero of us like that's so boring I think this um, entire interview you've basically uh pointed out how heteronormative I am um <laughs> what is- <laughs> you are but Greg Greg you are uh but that's okay because you're that's that's who you are but I'm just trying to show you that that uh you know there are there are other combinations of things and i'm certain that i'm missing a bunch of combinations too uh because you know we're all constantly learning about gender and and uh, sexuality and stuff i know it's it's you know i i i want to be the best version of myself i am and come in from different perspectives you know i mean look at our hometown look at not to you know blaming circumstances all that stuff but look um I, I think what's interesting is the value of uh, attitude that you've definitely displayed in talking to me here in terms of attitude in your love life, attitude and in what you want to put out into the world. I think you have a very, you know, I mean, Kirsten, there are some times when I've been like, is this girl crazy? Or <laughs> Is she just genius? Um, and I, I tend to lean more towards the genius side of things because if you were crazy, there's probably a healthy dose of crazy in there as well. So. <laughs> well, like a crazy genius. I think you, I think you do have that that madness, but it's a madness that produces. And I, I've always respected you for that, and I've always loved you for that. Um, is there anything? That, I mean, obviously go to Kirsten Elizabeth, that's Elizabeth with an S, scott.com to check out Kirsten. Uh, Check her out on Instagram at Kirsten Mezzo, that's M-E-Z-Z-O. And then what about VoxBod? Do you want to tell people about that briefly? It's kind of, it's a really cool program. Are you doing that still even? Sure. Are you cutting out? Did you, can you hear me? Oh, yes, yes. I can hear you now. Yeah. Talk to me about VoxBod. How about is it? Oh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Kirsten, are you there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me a bit about VoxBod. Right. So VoxBod is actually my passion project that I launched in 2019, early 2019. And it's just a marriage of <laughs> marriage. It's a marriage yeah. of the things so I traditional, love. So, so heteronormative. Yeah. Of you. Okay, so heteronormative of me. Um, it's just fitness. It's nutrition. 
production and it's how it relates to singers because I got so frustrated with hearing from misinformed voice teachers that because I had, you know, uh, tighter, tighter stomach, tighter abs, that somehow my breathing was negatively impacted. And I wanted to kind of disprove that because I was so frustrated that with, I was frustrated by this expectation that opera singers need to be heavier um, or opera singers need to be like not athletic or something. And that obviously is changing. Not, not everybody thinks that, but you know, certainly people who are not in the opera community, <laughs> the first thing that people say when they learn that I'm an opera singer, they go, but, but you're so skinny. Right. <laughs> it's like, I want to tear my hair out. But then also, right. I want to explain why, why that doesn't matter. And, and uh, I, why you can have it all really. Um, if you want to have abs and you can have abs and be a successful professional opera singer. It's just a matter of body awareness and also understanding how nutrition plays a role in issues like acid reflux that, that is super damaging to your cords. Um, oh, yeah. Those kinds of things. I took, a, I took a course through Cornell, a nutrition course so that I could become a, uh, to become a health coach in New York State. So I technically did that and um, I'm finishing up my personal training. I come up with my own workouts all the time, but I'm formally finishing my personal training certification right now, actually. So BoxBot is an online community that's $5 a month, depending on, you know, how much kind of interaction with me you want and direct coaching. But I have people who pay me 20 bucks a month, $5 a month, whatever. They get access to the online community of people who are just trying to shift their focus a little bit on being a healthier version of themselves. Some people want to lose weight. Some people just want to gain muscle. Some people just want to have more cardiovascular health and just general overall health. Um, and I kind of guide them through that and share ideas. And also I don't pretend to know everything. I am very agile and I love to read um, mm. and learn more. So I, I think that I just share what I'm learning constantly with my kind of growing community of Vox botters, as I call them. Right. And, uh, and it's been really lovely and very, very um, satisfying. I mean, it's, it's lovely to make money doing something that you care about, but more importantly, it's really, really nice to see how just showing up for, like just showing up for somebody in, in a very small online capacity can make all the difference to their day, to their week, to their health, to their progress, to their goal achieving. So I, I've already seen a lot of amazing things happening um, and with my, with my clients and it's just, it's awesome. awesome. So if you are like, even if you're not a singer, it applies to you because it's just fitness with more body awareness because yeah. you know, you have to make sure that you're not damaging your voice, but and you could do it over possible. zoom, right? You do a lot of the stuff over, like you don't even oh, yeah. design for social distancing. All zoom, all online videos that are in the private group. Um, when you're a member that you get access to. So there are three full workout programs that I've released so far that I, I designed. And then I've done a couple random just zoom live workouts because it's fun and why not? Um, yeah. and then if people want more health coaching or nutrition guidance, then I can do that as well. But, uh, that's, and that's by, really by the, the way, that's Fox she, did, she did not mention, please promote my program, ladies and gentlemen, that was me. I didn't even say 
anything. I said, can't wait, exclamation point. <laughs> she gave me three exclamations. That's exclamation it. She gave me nothing. Point. It's just a very cool project, one of the many. <laughs> but I do think there are people out there that would like to know about how to d still bring those things together. Um, so it's, it's one of many juxtapositions that Kirsten Scott lives in. And if you want to enjoy the juxtaposition of 1500 bucks cash from your wallet into Kirsten's, send her some money. Book her. She'll perform in your house. 1500 bucks. It's a good spend. I bet it's a good deal. Um, <laughs> yes, Kirsten, yeah. I love talking to you. You have I love talking uh, to you. thoroughly shamed me about uh, my relationship assumptions. So that's great. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> oh it. no, Greg. Greg, I did not know. Greg, Greg you're like the most thoughtful and open and uh, like empathetic person I know. So I am horrified that I made no, you feel ashamed. No, I, I, I feel just so wanted to make sure that anyone listening who, you know, maybe is uh, not ascribing to a binary uh, also knows that this is not, this is not so heteronormative advice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, look, it's great love. I mean, you gave me great love advice as well. So it's, uh, and, and yeah, I didn't even get into like hypnosis and high school. Oh, and... no, we're not going there. We're never going. We're never going to talk <laughs> about that hypnosis again. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. There was, it's very interesting stuff. Kirsten was very instrumental to my hypnosis journey. Um, but yes, I will, I will tell you right now, uh, not by me. I didn't hypnotize her. Uh, well, I, did, I guess I did later for my coaching business, but, but, but in high school, nah. Um, you did. Uh, I did not hypnotize Kirsten in high school because I'm not that weird. Um, I, I saved it for like the kids a year younger than me, actually. <laughs> we, I put them up on the stage during band class. And I, I <laughs> um, so I, I, you're that much of a friend to me, Kirsten. Look, KirstenElizabethScott.com, BearOpera.org, Vox, that's V as in Victor, O-X-B-O-D.com. Check it out. She's doing amazing things. Uh, honestly, I'm so happy that you talked to me today for as long as you have. And obviously, I mean, I'd love to have you on. I love talking. Yes, I hope you're doing Oh, gosh. I would love to come back. I mean, I hope that we can talk after this and, uh, and catch up some more because this is fun. And I'm really grateful. <laughs> yes. Hey, Greg, I'm really grateful that you, you're giving me a platform to talk about the things I care most about. And oddly enough, I was, I kind of thought we were going to talk about these professional things that I'm doing, but I really found it just lovely to just talk about love. I really loved that. That made me feel so warm and tingly. So oh my gosh. That's, we love talking about that. We love talking. My relationship. Yes. Yes. It's a wonderful yeah. relationship. And if you want tickets to Kirsten's wedding, all, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, so who knows when that's going to be? Uh, she'll send you the Zoom link if you're interested. Seriously. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea. Oh, my God. Don't do a Zoom wedding. You can wait. I mean, look, you're doing five months right now. You, then you're going to see this guy. It's going to be beautiful. And then you can get married like next year when things are better. There's no rush. I don't think there's a rush. Do you think I there's a rush? I hope it will be better. Will it be better, Greg? Will it be better? Do you really want that destination <laughs> wedding in a castle with, you know, Shrek yes. 
dressed up, someone dressed up as Shrek, I'll do it. Yes, that's exactly what I want. Okay, great. I'm excited. Thank you for offering. I, I, you, my dreams have now, have now come true. Oh, Kirsten, happy! B- <laughs> Congratulations! It's this what, trick. It's, I don't know what the fuck that is. It's this trick on the Swamp <laughs> Karaoke Party. Oh gosh, yeah, Mike Myers does it much better. Um, hey, you know what? I could cut this interview short, but oftentimes talking after the interview is even better. I mean. Okay, yeah, who knows? You might talk about some indiscriminate stuff, so uh, we can see what happens. Ooh, yeah. Um, but look, again, thank you so much for coming on. Been a pleasure. We love love. We love Kirsten. 1,500 buckaroos <laughs> from the U.S. government. You got that stimulus check. Just add a couple more hundred. You can see her perform. Um, and it's, it's, it's been great chatting with you. You're the best. I'll talk to you soon. It's been so good. So good, Greg. Thank All right. you so much. We'll do the debrief. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. Let's see.